Welcome to In Truth We Trust, a brand new talk show that is dedicated to promoting something often left out of political discussions these days, the truth. I'm Ryan Lasher. And I'm Colin Baker. We don't agree on everything, but that's okay because we believe that in between two opposing point of views is the truth. We won't try to tell you what to think, but rather we will give you information that helps you form your own opinion. Coming up, Ryan and I will discuss recent events in the news related to guns, including the recent incident at YouTube's California office building. And I will play some of my conversation with Connecticut State Senate Majority Leader Bob Duff regarding gun control and student activism. And to wrap things up, I will be heading the sports roundup with all the relevant sports news. And don't forget about Roseanne, which Colin and I will discuss. The rebooted ABC comedy. Is it really pro-Trump or is it a way to convert people to liberalism? What is it? We'll talk about it. That's all coming up. Be right back. For our first topic of discussion today, Ryan and I will be discussing the recent shooting at the YouTube office buildings in uh, California. On April 3rd, a few days ago, a 39-year-old female opened assault with a handgun at the YouTube office buildings, and there was three people injured. To the best of my knowledge, two of them were released and one is still in critical condition, and the shooter also took her own life. This happened in a state with some pretty strict gun laws, and Ryan and I are going to try to get to the bottom of some ways to combat this in the future and some factors that played a role leading up to the shooting. Yeah, so as Colin said, this was occurring in a very gun-crazy state. Yes, California has some of the most restrictive gun laws in the country. Like most businesses, especially out there, YouTube is a gun-free zone. YouTube allowed, like on their website, videos that encourage gun use, some in a positive way, like protecting yourself and hunting, and others maybe not in a so positive way. We also found out that the shooter's account, who's now deleted, posting a bunch of videos on a variety of topics like veganism. Yeah, and animal brutality. The shooting is... Noteworthy in particular because was the motive related she, to YouTube. Yeah, was she angry at YouTube? That's what we're. That's yeah. what investigators are still trying yep. to figure out. Yeah. So she also didn't fit the profiles of the typical uh, mass shooter. Typically, by statistics, the most common mass shooter is a adolescent, usually in their teens, white male who is a mass shooter, especially in one of these gun-free zones. And it's interesting to see someone who doesn't fit that profile could also commit a similar crime. This was a Muslim female whose name I'm not going to try to even pronounce because I I don't think many other reporters we would do it justice. But (laughs) because she was Muslim, it was labeled as terrorism. Yes. And often... In those cases, the young Muslim male, usually mm-hmm. 20s or yep. sometimes 30s, the FBI checked on them but didn't really care. Yep. And like the families, of course, unaware, it's 
all the stuff that we usually hear. It's interesting to know about the profile, but as of right now, we're still waiting for a lot of information. How she obtained the weapon was it legal? Uh, was it legally? Was it illegally? Her family said that they had no knowledge of her owning a weapon uh, at the time. And also, another interesting note is the police talked to her hours before the shooting. And they talked to her because she was sleeping in her car in a public area. And uh, they talked to her and she was apparently super responsive to the cop's request. So it's just interesting to see that there was such a quick deterioration of her behavior. Right. This can lead us on to some other themes. So like, should people in the office building that are responsible, should they be armed? If we go back about a month and a half or so to the tragedy at... Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida on February 14th. It raises an important question. Does responsible people having and owning and carrying weapons make a space safer or more likely to have gun violence? So when we put guns in the hands of the right people, everybody is in turn safer. But I know some people disagree with me, but statistically, mass shootings are much more common in these gun-free zones because they do make soft targets. Right. And even overseas, like a few years ago, I believe it was at a concert in Paris in November. Yep. In 2015, I think it was, that was a very strict city. I would argue even more than the anywhere in the United States. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It makes Connecticut look gun-liberal yeah. yep. in comparison, but yet it still happened. This was called terrorism, and there was the many events like in Brussels at that airport. There was the numerous attacks in the United Kingdom yep. with vehicles even. So it's not always even guns. Does this mean we ban like trucks and cars and other vehicles because they can also kill people too? On that note, there's actually an interesting piece of gun legislation that a lot of people on the conservative side of the aisle are proposing. It's actually called a TRO, Temporary Restraining Order. And what it does is Okay, so let's just take the YouTube shooter, for example. So the father of the YouTube shooter felt that his daughter's behavior was deteriorating over the last week or two. She was obviously growing more and more angry with YouTube and acting out more. And what it does is it allows family members who believe family members or close friends to go to a judge and say, I don't think this person should have a weapon for X amount of time and it has to be refilled. So the restraining order has to be refilled, I believe, every 90 days. So what it does is doesn't permanently restrict the rights of uh, someone to bear arms, but at the same time, it could definitely keep uh, someone from doing something extremely brash. And we have the House of Representatives in the beginning of December 2017 proposing this bill, which they did pass, called the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Act. It was passed by 231 to 198 with the conservative Republican majority getting their way. And this has been pushed by the NRA, the National Rifle Association, a very powerful interest group who lobbies for Second Amendment rights. So that means that a gun owner in a state with very relaxed laws on carrying could visit a very restrictive state where their actions would normally be considered a felony. Like an example, Mississippi to Connecticut. But specifically, this act is about concealed carry. So in order for it to be lawful, a citizen would still have to carry their concealed carry permit, photo ID, and make sure that their gun was federally lawful in order to carry it across state boundaries. 
Remember, this is just a bill. It's not law yet because the Senate has not yeah. passed it, and they're probably reluctant to do so. Yeah, I would say that they are too, especially because Republicans only have 52 votes, and yeah. they're they're split on a lot of things. So my guess, without some major uh, reworking of this bill, it's not going to get passed. And we have to be more clear on whether President Trump, what he thinks about it. He flip-flops, he does. of course, on a lot of issues. Like that. So we're not sure. He could at the last minute decide to go. He was threatening to like not to veto, veto the most recent budget, but then he yeah. ended up with signing. military spending. Yeah. He signed at the last minute anyway. Yeah. So my guess would be he would sign it into law, especially because I don't believe he's vetoed a bill yet. He just pretends to, I guess, just to get the press yeah. hysterical. I mean, that's something he's been doing for many, many years yes. in private life. So that brings us to another question. So Ryan and I are very obviously involved in just current politics. And at a lot of schools, including ours, there's been a lot of students taking different stances on gun ownership, gun rights, and guns in general. And I would argue most people here are the pro-gun control camp. Yeah, definitely at Norwalk High School. I'd agree with that. And March 14th, we had the walk out. We first we had the remembrance, which is fine because that's a respectful way to, you know, commemorate the seventeen students and staff that were killed that day a month prior in Parkland, Florida. But then, in my opinion, it kind of got out of hand the poorly organized student walkout. I mean it was better organized in other places, like even looking at Bridgeport, Connecticut. Like, I believe even their superintendent came and participated. There is definitely a right way and a wrong way to get your message across. Yeah. If we go back in history and look at different events, like civil rights. Maybe a cool idea would be to bring some of the people who spearheaded that that event on to the show, and we could talk to them about it. In a future episode, we could definitely consider that. Our student activists taking it too far, like David Hogg. Yes. So David Hogg, he's definitely a polarizing student, not saying that there aren't other polarizing students, but he's definitely at the forefront of the March to Life movement, and that comes with certain responsibilities. I don't know if I agree with a lot of the things that he's done, but he's entitled to his opinion. He's got to get his story straight because initially he said, oh, I was in the school hiding in the closet interviewing people, but then he later changed his story to say that he was home during the shooting and later rode his bike to the school with his video gear. So come on, dude, you got to get your story straight. Where'd you find that? It was on Instagram. Come on, Colin. There was actual video clips of him saying it in different points in time. All right, because we don't want to get These are direct news clips from when he was interviewed by various media outlets at different times. Okay. Like local stations and sometimes CNN, which he seems to be... Yeah, he's on CNN a lot. His uh, His mother works. Yeah. And his father used to work for the FBI. We're just going to throw this out here. You can make your own conclusions about it. And I think that is a good segue into our next point, I think, with your podcast with Bob. Duff. I listened to it and it was actually really interesting. I am a acquaintance of Bob Duff. I know him pretty well. He brought up the point that in Connecticut, the violent gun rate has gone down since the implementation of stricter gun laws. And I mean, I'm not going to dispute that statistic. That's a true statistic. But if you look at national trends, since the 1980s, violent crime has been decreasing pretty steadily in America since the so-called war on crime has started. So the famous uh, statistic staying correlation may not equal causation in this case because the trend was already uh, going that way. We'll be back in a bit with segment two, where you'll hear parts of my conversation with Bob Duff about his day-to-day political life and what he thinks about gun control and student activism. 
Welcome back to In Truth We Trust. In this segment, it's going to be a bit different because we're not going to be having a live discussion, but instead be playing a pre-recorded interview I did about a month ago with Connecticut State Senate Majority Leader Bob Duff. Now, him and I may not agree on everything, and I'm sure Colin could say the same thing. We're going to talk about political activism, gun control, and some other topics. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for quite a few years, ever since I took swimming classes here as a kid, the community youth uh, swimming programs I did with his kids, so he was there. That's when I first knew him, and then I went to like his political events to get ice cream and lasagna. He's a really nice person, and this goes to prove that even if you don't agree with someone, it doesn't mean that they're the devil. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that as a general statement. I'm not on board with everything Senator Duff proposes, but I definitely respect him. I've served on two councils with him to date, and I definitely respect a lot of the hard work that he puts into our state and the city of Norwalk and our school. So enjoy this, and we'll see you in the next segment where we talk about Roseanne. State Senate Majority Leader Bob Duff, welcome. Thanks for having me. What moment in your life did you realize that you wanted to start with politics? You know, I think it was at an early age. My parents and my grandparents used to talk a lot about different things around the dining room table and kitchen table. And so I always felt like there was this opportunity where I wanted to help make things a little bit better. So I would say at an early age, I was probably like seven or eight when I first wrote a letter to the mayor and he actually wrote me back. And that kind of inspired me to continue to think about public service. It had to do with... uh, litter at the beach. And this was the time before you actually recycled your bottles and cans. And the mayor actually wrote me back. And I thought that that was really cool. And that helped make, give me confidence that, you know, maybe I was making a difference. And then when I went to college, I was a political science major. I interned in Washington, D.C. as well and had the opportunity to run for office. In addition to your duties as a part-time legislator for the state of Connecticut, You've also been involved in real estate since about 1995, and not many people know that about you. So can you talk more about that, please? Yeah, well, the legislature, like I said, is part-time, but even before I was in the legislature, before I ran for elective office back in 1995, after I graduated college, I got into the real estate business because I thought it was good. It was entrepreneurial. It was, if I work hard, I can make money, and I wanted to buy my own first house, which I did, and so that was a great business, and so it actually works really well, and I actually managed the real estate office in Greenwich for a year before I ran for office. It works well because that gives you a flexible schedule, and this is one that requires time. It's not 9 to 5, neither 9 to 5. So you still do both. You know, the legislature in Connecticut doesn't pay very much, and but you do it for the love of it. It pays about $35,000 a year. But that's really hard to live on if you live in this part of the state or this part of the country. But most everybody has other side jobs or lawyers or doctors or real estate agents or nurses. We had a couple truck drivers once. One of the great things about a citizen legislature is the fact that there's a number of people who come from all walks of life and they bring their experiences to the So I researched that you interned with Christopher Dott. Tell me about that. Yeah, at the time, uh, Chris Dodd was uh, the senator from Connecticut, one of the two U.S. senators. And so I went to school in Lynchburg, Virginia, Lynchburg College, packed up and spent a semester, spring semester in Washington, made a whole bunch of new friends, which was great. And I was a full-time intern for him. So it was really, really cool because I got a chance to spend time with him. And uh, at the time, he was working on some important issues like uh, family medical leave, which is unpaid. And that was a big issue at the time. The first George Bush was really, really popular. He had over uh, 70, 80% approval rating because we just got done with the first Iraq war. And Chris Dodd was up for re-election and people considered him vulnerable. Very interesting time to be there with him. But also, on top of it, I got a chance to learn about the U.S. Capitol and meet interesting people and see a whole bunch of different things. And it really 
cemented my interest and my love for public service. One of the greatest things I got a chance to do when I was down there was to learn the capital. When you're an intern, you do a whole bunch of different things. You open mail, you research. But one of the things I got really good at was giving tours of the U.S. Capitol. And I was so good at it. I did so many of them. The security at the Capitol at the time thought I was actually a staffer, not an intern. So I got a chance to go on the U.S. Senate floor all the time and give tours there, which interns were not allowed to do. If you go into some of the desks and drawers of the senators, they carve their initials at them. I got to see senators who had been there in the 1800s or 1900s and Strom Thurmond, who had one of the longest filibusters in the history of the Senate, to see his initials there and to see where President Kennedy once sat when he was a U.S. senator. Like anything, it's what you make of it and how much you try. And interning, some people had great experiences. Some people had not so great experiences. But I had an awesome one because it's kind of what you make of it and what you put into it. Since about 2015, which is a few years now, you've had the title of State Senate Majority Leader, right? Can you tell me about the day-to-day responsibilities that that entails? Uh, I'm in my fourth year of being the majority leader of the Senate. Yeah, it's an interesting job. I mean, being a legislator is interesting anyway. No two days are ever the same. So as a majority leader, my job is to be elected by the members of my caucus as the majority leader and to basically run the Senate floor. So when we're in session on a day, I get to choose what bills go, which bills don't go, uh, what order they go. Um, Before we go into session, uh, really, do bills need to go to other committees? Should they live? Should they die? It's a position that holds some good responsibility to it. And while I'm one of six legislative leaders at the state capitol, it's a good position. It's one that has a lot of responsibility to it. It takes a lot of time, but hopefully it's helpful for the people of Norwalk and Darien because I'm in a position of leadership. So how often do you have to travel to Hartford every day? Because I'm pretty sure that's a long commute. Well, we're in, we're in session right now, so uh, pretty much every day. But I'd say at least four days a week, mostly five days a week. And then we're not in session because we're part-time, uh, maybe you know two, three days a week. So it, it varies. But it's an hour drive each way, generally, unless there's a lot of traffic. So it's not too, too bad. It's, it gives you a lot of time to either think or people call you and get on the phone and uh, obviously with your Bluetooth and being able to get some work done on the way. So we're doing this interview in a school right now, and I feel it's pretty safe but I know that there's others that may not share the same viewpoint. In light of the recent events, such as the tragedy in Parkland, Florida, at the high school where 17 students were killed on February 14th, so what do you plan to do to keep the schools safe and the students feeling that school is a safe place for them in the areas that you represent, Norwalk and Darien, maybe even for the whole state of Connecticut? Right. Well, a few things. One is that after Sandy Hook happened, uh, the state of Connecticut passed on a bipartisan basis, I mean, both parties passed it, a very comprehensive gun legislation and gun safety legislation. So since we've passed that law, we have seen gun crime, gun violence, and gun deaths decrease. Uh, the states with the toughest gun laws have the lowest incidence of violent crime. The states without that have the exact opposite. The shooter in Parkland, Florida had an AR-15. You can't sell those in Connecticut, so you don't have, can't have access to those here in the state of Connecticut. And if you bring those across state lines, you're a felon. Secondly, we have spent over $50 million on school security upgrades, and Norwalk has received some money for that from the state. We also have school resource officers here at the school as well. Third thing we did was in mental health and mental health funding is to try and get people help if they need it and to try and make sure that we help people um, if we think that they might be going down a path they shouldn't be going down. However, I just want to caution that a lot of times when we have these types of shootings, and they're all too often, we always default to mental health. 
Most people with any kind of mental health challenges are not prone to violence and they are not violent, but we can't lay blame on a whole class of people because of what some folks do. And so a lot of this comes down to access to weapons and the ability for people to do bad things in a very short amount of time. And that's why I think we have to keep using our voices to have better gun control and reduction of gun violence. So recording this on March 15th, the day after the National Student Walkout Day, and at our school, we had a school-sanctioned event, which was just the remembrance of the 17 victims. But in addition, there was an unsanctioned event, which was a gun control protest, and there were some people that got in trouble for organizing that. But that being said, I believe student activism is a great thing, and I'm sure you would agree. So what are some ways that you would suggest that students get involved in activism for the issues that they care about, but without jeopardizing their educational privileges? Yeah, we certainly don't want to see people get in trouble. I mean, we had the March for Gun Reform in Norwalk, and we had over 400 people there, which I think was really awesome considering the fact that we planned it in a week. Very proud of the students around this country. Uh, for organizing that, supporting it, and for parents who said, yes, this is a good idea for kids to do and be able to express themselves. What's also important for high school kids or even middle school kids is to continue to use your voices. One thing that did not happen after Sandy Hook, and maybe because these are elementary school kids, was that they were not able to use their voices for change. It was the adults talking. I certainly urge high school kids to use your voices in a way that will bring about change. So while Connecticut has very strong gun laws, and there's not a whole lot more we can do, though we'll continue to keep pushing on things like banning bump stocks, banning ghost guns, it's important that you stand in solidarity with your fellow students around the country. And while Congress may not be getting off its tail to do any kind of gun legislation, other states need to do it. Florida took a good first step, but it's only a first step. But other states like Mississippi and Indiana and others are going backwards. They're going the wrong way on these things, even since the Parkland shooting. We do stand in solidarity with students, and we help them in their states elect people who will take this issue seriously and who will vote the right way. What would you say to people that show a lot of apathy and cannot care less what is going on about their government? You get the government you deserve. And if you don't vote, you can't complain. So if you don't vote, I don't want to hear anybody complaining. If you vote, at least exercise your civic duty. Then you have a right to complain. If people think that things are going right, that's their business. Everybody has the ability to agree or disagree. But you at least have to participate. Otherwise, you have governments where one or two people run the show rather than the people. Yeah, well, it all depends. I mean, not everybody is has the need or the desire to run for office. They could be president of the garden club. They could be uh, somebody who picks up garbage at the beach or part of an environmental group or somebody who mentors a kid. Those are ways in which all of us have some sort of way to be involved. And generally, when you do that, you're more involved in your government. You're more aware of things that are going on. So You could be the mayor, you could be the state senator, you could be a teacher, a police officer, a firefighter, you could be somebody who just volunteers someplace. And those are all really important things. Our country is designed that way. People came together to build libraries and build schools back in the 1700s as a community. That's what has always been the fabric of our country. So I got to ask, what are your future political aspirations? You know, I think it's important time to be elected because with everything that's going on in the world, it's important to have your voice and use your voice for good and for change and for positive things. This is an election year for me, and um, every two years is an election year. I've announced I'm running for re-election, and I'll continue to uh, go down that road and see what happens in the future. But uh, I still love the job that I have. I love representing Norwalk and Darien, and it's an honor. 
Have you ever considered running at the federal level for the Senate? Uh, who knows? Right now we have two U.S. senators already, so you never write it off. Keep your head down, do your job, and opportunities come along. If you're just looking at the next opportunity, that means you're not doing your job. Those opportunities don't come along. And I believe that's a great note to end on. State Senate Majority Leader Bob Duff, thanks for being here today. Great. Thank you. Welcome back to In Truth We Trust. In this segment, Colin and I are going to discuss the rebooted ABC sitcom Roseanne, which premiered on March 27th, 2018. And the interesting thing is they're actually calling it, according to my internet sources, season 10. The show originally aired, for those of you who don't know or weren't around when it came on, October 18th, 1988 and ended on May 20th, 1997. At the time of recording this, there has been four episodes, but we're going to be focusing on the premiere episode as that is what has gotten the most critical acclaim for people who either really love it or people who hate it. It stars Roseanne Barr as the title character, John Goodman, Laurie Metcalf, Sarah Gilbert, and other names that you've probably may or may not have heard of, but let me guarantee you, it is really funny. Would you agree, Colin? It is pretty funny. I would agree. Even if you are like a liberal and you're being like made fun of in this show, there's been liberal commentators who have watched that and yeah. have found it funny. Well, I think comedy is comedy and they do a very good job of being funny while also touching on some pretty uh, serious and relevant topics at the same time. We should just say from this point forward, there will be spoilers for the show ahead. So if you haven't watched it yet, I would recommend doing that first because then at least you'll have your own conclusion of the show in your head before even listening to us. So the premiere episode focuses on Darlene with her two children that go back to their childhood home, Roseanne and Dan, played by Roseanne Barr and John Goodman, respectively. Roseanne is reunited with her sister, Jackie, who's played by Lori Metcalf, who in the episode is the woman with the pink nasty woman shirt. So, and they are feuding over the 2016 presidential election. Part of the reason of the controversy. What happens is Roseanne has voted for Donald Trump in the election and her sister Jackie was a Hillary Clinton supporter but actually did not cast her vote. The one of the daughters, Becky, has been struggling to make ends meet. She announces to the family for her plans to be a surrogate mother, which her parents do not really agree with. So this show brings up many social issues, which we will talk more about in depth in future episodes. But the main theme here is just, did people vote for Trump for economic or uh, social reasons? Because in the show and also on some talk shows, which Roseanne has been on, uh, she cites that the main reason that she did vote for Trump was not social issues, but in fact, economic issues. And while that may be true for a large amount of Trump supporters, it isn't what a lot of people think was the reason that Trump got elected. And I would also have to agree with that. Any Republican could have taken Donald Trump's stance on a lot of topics, but 
but it was him fighting a bunch of culture wars, anything from just standing up for so-called deplorables that really made him attractive to a lot of typical traditional Republican voters. Yeah, and I believe the deplorable issue is definitely mocked in this show. For a lot of the sitcoms, they always mock conservative people, but in this show, it is now going the other way, which I think is kind of amusing because it's about time that someone laughs at them. Yeah, because there's definitely many reasons to pick fun at both sides. So in that sense, it is refreshing. So the other night, two of the leading actors, Roseanne and John Goodman, were on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and Jimmy Kimmel was poking fun at Roseanne about who she voted for in the 2016 election. And there was definitely only like-minded people on stage, and the crowd was primarily a liberal or democratic crowd. And it was just interesting to see how she defended her views. Yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. And we'll play some of the exchange here. I had some I had some disagreement uh-huh. with her foreign policy. I see with her foreign policy. <laughs> and you like Trump? Yeah, she policy? had one. <laughs> Dan's character is not Did you did you agree with her foreign policy? Listen. Never mind her foreign policy. How about Captain Wacko we got running the country here? I mean, foreign policy. I'm shocked, because I know you were a very liberal, socially liberal person in general. I mean... I'm still the same. You all moved. (laughs) We did? You all went so far out, you lost everybody. (laughs) I mean, seriously. A lot of your audience, and including me, I just want to say this, Jimmy. A lot of us, you know, no matter who we voted for, we don't want to see our president fail. Right. You know? Right. I know. Because we don't want pants. And yet we've seen it over again. You want pants? You want pants for the freaking president? No, I don't want him either. Well, then zip that to make this government work no matter who's president. It's up to us to do our jobs as citizens and if we don't like something, you know, let them know you don't like it and then you got another election in two years, get out there and vote. Change it if that's you don't a very, like it. That's very good. I mean, you can't argue with that. I find it interesting. Obviously, it's very hard when you're the only one in the room whose ideas and beliefs are being criticized. Right. Definitely relatable. The crowd and Jimmy Kimmel making fun of Roseanne, making her seem like she wasn't intelligent enough to make an educated decision on her vote, I think is one of the main reasons why such a polarizing figure like Trump has got elected. Because if it was just about economic issues, it's very easy to find someone who has a similar... Economic stance and Trump hasn't even stayed true to the platform on which he ran on economic issues. But people approve of Trump generally because they stand up for just the average American who's working middle class, even in a lower socioeconomic status. He like definitely in the middle of the country, yeah, which is where the show takes place. I believe it's in Illinois. Yeah. Or Ohio, one of those states. It's not just because they're working class people. It's also because these people are fed up with Hollywood's progressive social agenda. And there was a right wing commentator out there who pointed this out. He basically claimed that if you're in Hollywood and you disagree with their agenda, you'll never get any more calls to work on projects ever again. Now, I don't know how true that is, but 
If that is true, then that is absolutely not acceptable. And I hope that maybe this show. Yeah, hopefully the show will help break down some of the stigma and incorporate some varying viewpoints into comedy. Because at the end of the day, comedy is a great uniter. It's a universal way to find a common ground with people. And I think that although Roseanne might not be as conservative or as vocal as many people would like, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Right. One important thing we should talk about, not just with this TV show, but others in general, like even looking at some of the Sunday talk shows like ABC's This Week and Meet the Press, do TV shows have a responsibility to handle controversial political issues in a responsible way that's fair to everybody, or should they just all be one-sided entertainment? The supposedly serious talk shows, maybe even sitcoms that deliver a message, like Family Guy, some people think it's pushing a pro-conservative message. I mean, there's a number of shows that touch on controversial political issues, anything from South Park to Family Guy, I guess. And while I don't think they have a responsibility to touch on these issues, I think that they a lot of times use satire to expose a lot of the hypocrisy and radical ideas on both sides. Yeah, that can be beneficial. Yeah, it's beneficial. And I think it contributes to a more moderate stance on a lot of issues. But I do think that the serious Sunday talk shows should. All of them were saying like a couple of years ago that, oh, Trump, what is he running as? A joke? Yeah. Oh, he's never going to win. Yeah. And they just laughed at him almost to like the very end. And then like he won and you could see on election night, they were like stone faced for like the next few days because they didn't know what had happened. I think personally that shows such as CBS Sunday Morning or 60 Minutes do have a responsibility to report and analyze both sides fairly. But you your nightly news, I think that can be a little bit more partisan because there's a lot more options because they aren't actually reporting the news themselves. They're just disseminating information. So then you have the choice to go to MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, where you still get a lot of the same information, but the twist on it is sometimes radically different. Yeah. It's like you take the same picture, but you just have like different lens. Yep. That's an analogy that's been beaten to death probably by a lot of people, but I'll use it. Well, Roseanne will continue to touch on a bunch of issues like abortion and LGBT rights and cross-dressing, among other things. We obviously do not have time to discuss them all in this segment. We will definitely discuss them in future shows. Perhaps we might invite another guest who can help provide a different perspective than we do. Now that we've talked on some more serious subjects, we'll head to a lighter issue. Today, I'm going to be giving you all the relevant sports news. And that's coming up in just a bit, so stay with us on In Truth We Trust. Welcome back to In Truth We Trust. Time now for our brief wrap-up of the recent sport news with Colin Baker, who's much more of an expert on this than I am. Yeah, definitely, Ryan. So just some quick sports news, kind of relevant to me. So baseball just started back up. It's uh, an exciting time for all the baseball fans out there. So I'm going to Yankee Stadium tomorrow 
Saturday, April 7th. And I'm super excited. I've never been there before. I've been to City Field and Fenway, but definitely looking to see uh, how the Bronx Bombers do. Going to see Stanton and Judge, and it's going to be really exciting. Another piece of sports news is my favorite team, the 76ers, are on a 12-game win streak, their longest win streak since 1990, and they're tied for third place in the East in the playoff race. I'm super excited about that. I've been a Sixers fan since they were the worst team in the NBA. And the Masters are going on right now. I believe they conclude on Sunday, but I'm not positive on that. I think that's it today for sports news. And to move into our last uh, quick segment, I have a question for you guys. What kind of tree can you carry in your hand? And we'll answer that the next time on A Truth We Trust. So as Colin said, what kind of tree can you carry in your hand? The answer will be revealed on the next episode. That's all the time we have for today on A Truth We Trust. I hope you will join us next time. Our show is produced by myself, Ryan Lasher, and my co-host, Colin Baker. And it's edited by myself as well. It is recorded in the facilities of Norwalk High School's Digital Media and Communications Academy in Norwalk, Connecticut. Make sure to follow us. We are everywhere on Twitter at in truth we trust show that is all one word instagram same username at in truth we trust show facebook.com slash in truth we trust show and youtube which doesn't allow us to create custom urls anymore until we get like a million followers go out to youtube and search in truth we trust show each social media page will be linked to from each other so it shouldn't be any trouble finding it thanks for joining us and we will see you in the next episode where we do not know what we'll talk about we will be sure that it's going to be exciting thanks again for joining us see you next time